This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Chris Nee. We're covering the 6-0 Seminoles, ranked fourth currently nationally. Chris, a happy Monday morning to you, good sir. Let's get into this Syracuse game. All righty. Okay, so FSU wins 41-3 over Cuse. It was, what, like an 18-point spread? I think it, no, I think it settled at like 17.5. It moved up and down, yeah, 17.5. FSU goes ahead and doubles the spread. I thought this might be a sloppy game for FSU. Uh, there were some moments where it wasn't great in the first half, but like FSU really just leaned on Syracuse and, and controlled this game from, from start to finish. Uh, I want to start off, Chris, by talking about the offensive performance. It's going to be sponsored by Chattanooga Whiskey. They're crushing it in the craft distillery game. Uh, and if there ever was a uh, a time to crack open the, the 11, you know, 111 cast strength or their, uh, their excellent rye, I think – to celebrate, I would have been that key on Coleman catch to begin the game. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, it made you got Moss number one yesterday on the NFL show on ESPN. It's obviously been on every highlight reel. It, it was an unbelievable one. There's been some great catches in the history of Doak, and that one's in that that joins that uh, list very easily. What are some other ones that was a topic on our board? Like, what are some other ones that come to mind for you? Um, I mean, I always think of P Dub's catch against UF um, that helped them win. It wasn't so much the catch; it was more play. In the moment, um, Kate Kelvin Benjamin had some big ones, but like yeah. I feel like his best ones were at Clemson and Auburn, Florida. But he also had when I think of Kelvin, I always think of his performance at UF where he just took it to the Gators, basically, the handily whooped them. Yeah, um, that was fun. No, I mean, there's a time I actually didn't look at that thread, I should dive in that thread and take a look at some of the ideas. But you know, I was trying to Pete Dove's catch against V Tech again, not in Doke but another phenomenal catch and one that's definitely significant in school history. Uh, yeah, James I, I think the point that we're trying to get to is Keon Coleman's really freaking good. And that was yeah. a phenomenal catch on what was a great day for him. He has, uh, let's see, 140 receiving yards, a touchdown, uh, the, the touchdown catch he had, the little move that he put on the the cornerback, the, the route there, like that was spectacular. The, the slant and go yeah, where was... he got the safety to buy it inside and he got one-on-one because of it. He's, um, Enjoy him while you have him, Florida State fans. He came to Florida State to help elevate you this season and to help elevate his draft stock. He's doing both of those things, and that's hey, the first two, 247 all-purpose yards is a pretty damn good day at the office. Dude, I, the punt return, the 75-yard punt return, I don't. It wasn't as impressive as the catch, but like just from a six foot four, 215 pound dude moving that way for that long a period of time, like. <laughs> He also had the one from midfield where they kind of kicked a rocket, but the, the hussy back-to-back penalties wiped that out. But, I mean, yeah, it, it was the day for Keon. You know, he had four punt returns in total where he came close to making something happen with him. Two of them, he truly did make something happen with him. One got nullified by penalties of those two. But, yeah, it, it was uh, it was impressive. On a day where you don't have Johnny Wilson, a guy who we don't think will be out long-term but was out on Saturday, it was impressive what Keon came, Coleman was able to go out there and do for FSU and the way he kind of carried it. But he wasn't the only one. I thought Jaheim Bell had a good day. He had the yards after catch on the one catch where it was a short throw on Jay Trav rolling out to his right. Uh, Hakeem Williams obviously turned in a phenomenal highlight late in the game. I 
think I described that as beautiful singularly in the moment and going back and rewatching it yesterday, I enjoyed it even more, you know, kudos to Julian Armella. You got on your horse, you rode it, you got to that second level and you blasted a dude. Uh, Jackson West also had an excellent block on that play, which set up the tunnel screen and the ability for Hakeem to go and make one man miss. And, you know, Ja'Kai Douglas and him got to celebrate running across the goal line together. thought that was pretty cool. C.J. Campbell's early run in the game I thought was one of the better early runs. Trey Benson had one later in the game. That was very good. Uh, it's funny. Second quarter had some clunkiness to it, again, for the second straight week. And it was certainly frustrating. It definitely sent us into the locker room in the sense of, like, you know, that should have been better. There should be more points on the board. And I get it. But outside of that, they played a very good, clean game. They were very efficient. They were, you know, they ran the ball effectively. They threw the ball effectively. They didn't have pre-snap penalties. They overall, the blocking actually was pretty good over yep. three quarters. There were issues in that second quarter. You know, Casey Brodick had back-to-back snaps where it just didn't go well for him. Didn't put a hat on a hat. On one, it looked like he was swimming as he moved. Not when he got stuck on the backside of a fellow offensive lineman. Robert Scott had one awful snap late in the first half where Jordan got blasted to play where it looked like Jordan got banged up a little bit. Ball goes backwards. Darius Washington comes in and gets banged up. We believe in that same stretch there and didn't play in the second half. But all in all, I actually thought the blocking was pretty good on the day. You know, I I think the Keon Coleman shot play, they kept, uh, I want to say, eight back, and it was really blocked up really well and allowed Jordan to hold it. A couple of the first quarter instances of pressure was more Jordan holding the ball. I think the 3-3-5 giving him some looks that weren't positive for throwing it more so than the line getting whooped at the point of attack. So what I'm trying to say is, like, I think some people came out of that game thinking the O-line was awful. I don't think the O-line was awful. I think the O-line had a handful of really bad plays. Robert Scott certainly had one. Jeremiah Byers and uh, Maurice – I'm sorry, not Maurice. Uh, Markston Douglas combined on the Wildcat play to basically blow that play up for the offense. Let's ahead, let's get, we'll we'll dive in into it because I want to talk about the wildcat. There's multiple things I think we can, but like to your point, Chris, you score 41 points against a defense that like I know it's Syracuse, but like that's a top. Yeah, let's see, ESPN efficiency metrics has it as a top 30 defense nationally. Yeah, and they also sit on the ball as an offense, trying to limit your ability to be on the field. And so you you get 535 yards of total offense against them, 344 through the air. 191 on the ground, 7.3 yards per play. Like, that's really good against a, a solid defense. And one that, like, gives you a lot of issues schematically. Like, we know it's not an uber-talented defensive team, but, like, really well coached with what they do on defense. And you're able to, outside of a few drives, move the ball pretty effectively. Uh, the ground game got better as it went on in the second half. I think you had 100, I think 91 on the ground. Like, yeah, So and most of that was in the second half. So, like, I don't know, it just – Philly has a 50 yarder that factors into that. And they hit Syracuse. Syracuse, I feel like, is a boomer bust defense. Felt that way going into the game. They lived up to that. I felt like you could hit one on ones on them. FSU certainly did. FSU had 12 chunk plays, not including special teams, for 346 yards. So (laughs) it sort of played into exactly what they are. I I thought FSU all on Saturday, I thought they played well. Second quarter was very frustrating. In rewatch of it and watching the entire version, not the condensed version, I actually thought they played a lot better than I thought they did when I exited the stadium on Saturday. Yeah, the rewatch was it oftentimes is encouraging, and I found it. I think you just mentioned that it was like good for you to see that uh, on a deep dive, and I had the same experience, Chris. Like there was the the thing was like the bad plays. There weren't a ton, but like they just looked really bad. Like when you didn't yeah. get it, and I think they were they, back. They blew a couple drives up. They blew up the attempt at points right before the half. That's when Robert Scott got beat and Jordan got hit and got injured or banged up on that play. Uh, The fourth and one, Wildcat, you don't convert. You get nothing out of that. It breaks your red zone streak. FSU is now 23 of 24 in the red zone on the season because of that play. No, that Um, was – that was – the red zone was – they went forward. It was after – Oh, you're right. It was after the fumble recovery. After the Josh Farmer fumble. Yeah, the the, the, – Wildcat was just outside, wasn't it? But it was, it was just outside. But I mean, those were in a pretty yeah. short span together. And so it was that yeah. that second quarter, which that's two weeks in a row for different reasons where the second quarter hasn't been kind to you. But like, well, let's talk about, I guess, some of the things that people are fixating on a little bit. Peel back, like what's what's real? What isn't uh, that second quarter? You, know, you have that the four uh, plays inside the, the, you know, the goal to go situation. 
two drops or one drop yeah. and deuce, another. deuce band end around not blocked well at the edge therefore can't yep. turn up the field and finish it trey benson throw at the pylon very nice play design on that by the way drop should have been caught kyle morlock throw to the back corner on his hands dropped and then i didn't love the fourth down call with rolling everybody left and cutting the field in half syracuse put a ton of bodies between jordan and the goal line and it just wasn't there. So he threw it high and hot, and there was nothing. So uh, fourth like down was, was frustrating, but, like, it got there because you did it to your job on the first three downs. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, like, scheme-wise, fine. Execution by, like, the quarterback was fine on, on the two throws he had leading up to that uh, that fourth down play. And the fourth down play I would love to talk to someone about, like, there's two wide receivers really close to each other. I don't know if that's, you know, how you wanted it. So Poor spacing issues. And you've been good inside the red zone. You've been great inside the red zone. So, like, that's not a thing I'm losing sleep over. Um, To the Wildcat on fourth and one, Dane and I were going back and forth on it in the press box. I don't hate the Wild. I like the Wildcat. I think it's efficient. I know people have these. Some uh, present company uh, included have some angst about the Wildcat sometimes. I have just, like, quarterback sneak, fullback dive, probably higher efficient play. Thing is, you have a chance to actually bust a big play, was Dane's point, if you're going fourth and one out of the – the wildcat, the the real issue at hand isn't that you're going wildcat, quarterback sneak, dive, whatever. It's that there was miscommunication on that play pre-snap. You saw a lot of frustration. Uh, and you even just watched the play and digging around on this a little bit. Like, yeah, th- there was a wrong call uh, by the offensive line, I think, and based on what Jaheim Bell was expecting. You see guys down blocking and look like it could be like a counter or something to the left. Jaheim Bell just runs straight forward like he's expecting man blocking. Jordan Travis was frustrated. We'll get into that in a second based on all that. And just like you had timeouts to use. Mike doesn't like to burn his timeouts willy nilly. Uh, but that might have been like that's the level of critiquing I'm going to do on a coach in game is really minimal, really, really minimal because there's so much data they have going on and they know infinitely more than we do. Uh, but that would have been one if you weren't if you're feeling rushed, you're snapping up with six seconds left on the play clock, miscommunication, take the timeout because that drive extends then. And you have points, and you can't take those timeouts with you towards the end of the second half. So that, yeah. that's what happened there. Uh, finally, let's talk about it, Chris. Jordan Travis like was not bad on the day by any means. I think his wide receivers didn't help him out a ton. There's probably – I think FSU's stat tracking had like two or three drops. I contend there's probably like three more plays that could have been helped out a little bit. And the final line is 23. Ja'Kai yeah, I mean, uh, had a drop for sure. Benson has a drop. Morlock has a drop. Uh, there's no one that's put near Morlock's hands. I wouldn't call it a drop, but he could have caught it. Um, did you say, did you say Ja'Kai Douglas? Was that the first name you yeah, said? Yeah, I said Ja'Kai. Um, Gene um, Bell had one, one like, like in a dig yeah, uh, where so, he kind of turned to run. So four, five. But right. his stat line's not great. It's like 23 37, 284 touchdown. It's a pass rating of 135. There's just a lot left out there. And I think what was interesting, Chris, was kind of seeing his response very, I guess, demonstrative would be the word I would use to some of his own frustration, uh, maybe frustration with the receivers. That was a talking point Mike Norvell talked about. So like I said, as long as it's productive and he feels like it is super productive with Jordan, it's fine. I don't think it's a big deal that he's getting frustrated. I think it's more like how does he internalize and compartmentalize when things aren't going well. I feel like there's I, a lot of pressure he puts on himself. I I mean, the Wildcat play, for example, was one where he definitely showed frustration, but so did the head coach. Yeah. And I think probably everybody out there was frustrated because, well, you, but you just botched a fourth and go that you should definitely convert. If you're going to be a championship level football team, you got to convert those kind of plays. So uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't get all caught up in it. You don't I, like to make a lot of body language and stuff. I, 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 I mean, he was frustrated, and I'm sure he's a little pissed off about the offense having inefficiencies at times and clunkiness. Well, yeah, so am I, and I think everybody else involved in the machine probably is too. I, I get some people think he needs to be calm and. Reserve now. Jordan Travis has earned the right to be exactly whatever the heck he wants. He yeah, he can't. You know, I, Nine thousand career yards at FSU. If, and the if he wants to MF someone, around, fine. It's a lot of him. So yes, I I don't I don't lose sleep over. I don't think a whole lot about it. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a well-run program where if that was getting out of hand, somebody would put him in check. Yeah, I don't think that's a, that's not the issue. Like him getting mad at someone, saying something, he's earned that right in totality. Like for what he's done and. and People like him in the program. They follow him. He's a leader. That's what you want. More so, I think, where I get to, Chris, is like what's productive for Jordan as a person, right? And like that's – we're diving into – You're saying maybe he needs to flush it and just next play. He's at his best when he's smiling and having fun and like – and that gets him to that place of having that little M effort like in him. But like he has to – 
uh, kid show. He has to kind of start off at this place of like joy and happiness. I feel like when he's at his best and he's just having fun. And yeah. I feel like he feels a sense of like every, every drive has this weight to it. And I just, I've been told like that he's pressed a little bit at times this year. Like I feel there's people who like know Jordan who feel like that is a thing. And that's not the end of the world because there is a lot like riding on everything, but like to get where you want to go and for him to be like his best version of himself, which he's been good this year, but he hasn't been what he's capable of. And I think he knows that. And I think he feels that. And I think this offense has been good this year. It's a top 10 offense nationally, but going into the season, Chris, like we were talking about this potentially being a top five or three one. And I know it doesn't feel like a big difference, but like that, that is a, that is in totality over the course of a year. It's like the difference between you being a 10, 11 win team or one that's running the table and, and has a legitimate shot to win it all. Like, so that's the, that's the layers that we're at here. Cause you're at such a high level. Like that's the discrepancy. I think for Jordan, I would love to see him just have a little bit more like relaxedness to what he's doing. Just, just a tad more. It doesn't have to be lethargic. doesn't mean he can't get after someone when he doesn't like something or even he's not allowed to show motion on himself. It just, you know, there's a lot of dime store psychology. I just, I feel like he does, he is at his best when he's having fun and he's loose. And I just don't feel like we've seen that a ton from him this year. So in talking to the staff and also listening to the actual broadcast of the game and the fact that they had those meetings with Alex Atkins, Mike Norvell, Adam Fuller, so on and so forth in production meetings. I mean, it, Alex Atkins sums it up as the offense hasn't come close to being as good as it's actually capable of being, which Just I think that. is wholeheartedly true. Yes. And we know that in talking to people around the program and being around the program on a daily basis, that is a true statement. I think that's the pressure. I think that's the, the thing. FSU is not competing with the opponent as much as they're competing with themselves. That's Mike's mentality, Mike Morvell's mentality, and it's very much been passed on to his players, especially guys that have been play, players for him for three or four seasons now. Mm -hmm. And I think that is true. And I think there are guys, veterans on that offense, who are frustrated that the offense has not really put together a good four quarters yet this year. They've put together plenty of explosive quarters, plenty of good halves. They've yet to truly do it for 60 minutes. I think that's some of what you see at times. I, I think there's an effort, and especially since the bye week, I think there's been a sense of urgency of getting yourself in a position to be as good as you possibly can be in every which way. And we've seen the defense round a bit more in the form, somewhat against lesser opponents, but good things have happened with the defense since that bye week. But... I just got a text from some someone sending me something from the Texas A&M board. I can't repeat it on here, but it just <laughs> it was just a random someone uh, shitting on Jimbo. And then uh, offensively, I think they've gotten better and done things more effectively, run the ball better, for example. But it's just still they're creeping towards what I think they, those in-house players, coaches, envision themselves capable of being offensively. And I do think that brings frustration, but I don't I don't read into it. I don't. It's not a concern for me. Cameras picked it up. I I don't think Jordan acted a whole lot different on Saturday than he probably acts on most normal Saturdays yeah. on that football field. The camera just picked it up a little bit. I don't want people to listen to this later and come back and be like, Sano doesn't think Jordan Travis should show emotion or that he can't yell at people. That's not what I'm saying, right? Like, I'm just – I think that he is feeling – I think you summed it up well, because he's feeling a little bit of pressure to, like, make this offense hum to what it can. And he knows that – it is so close. Like, I feel like that's the thing, too. It's like you're, you're talking about just – in totality, not just Jordan, wide receivers, offensive line, running backs. Like if you just execute like 5%, 10% better, you're talking about this offense leveling up to an elite level. Like it's it's there, it's right in front of you. You have to get it there, right? But like that's where we're halfway through the season kind of judging this team. It's very good. There's the potential to be great, um, but, but you're not there yet. And that's what you're working towards in the back half of the season. You mentioned the run game, Chris. Like I want to stop and talk about that real quick because I thought that got better as the game went on. And I, I, it's funny. Like, I, how does it? I felt like they went away from people moving. They did that less. A little more north southish. They did a lot of inside zone, which is something I think they thought they could do going into the game. You watch the game plan, but like they really emphasized that. Yes, I think because they did struggle with locating uh, while on the move, and that was something that happened last year early in the season too. Remember Alex Atkins talking about like guys kind of settling into finding the the moving pieces and and seeing the picture as it changes. And they ended up becoming great at running counter by the second half of the year. Um, and so we're kind of seeing that there's a lot of, there's a lot of rotating in the offensive line. Some of that's because of injuries, some of that's by design. I do wonder how much like that can 
can slow down the process of you speeding things up in your mind uh, or having the game slow down, however you want to look at it. But yeah, they did a lot of inside zone. Uh, they did a really good job of getting push against that that front. But when they hit their big plays, Chris, it was off a counter. Like that Toa Philly touchdown was a, was a counter. Play right before was also a really well-run counter. Uh, that was run. It was almost the exact same play that I think people got mad at. It was like Robert Scott and Casey Roddick in the first half pulled pull to the right. Um, and neither of them touched outside blocker. And it looks really bad for Casey. I think it's Rob not being tight enough. They, they end up executing it really well the next play forward, the next time they run that play in the second half. Then they go to a counter on the other side with a tight end pulling off to the races. FSU, Chris, is first nationally in yards per carry in the second half this season. Really? Isn't that interesting? Like, like, yeah. The, well, that they, is they've a, been a much better second half team this year in general. Yeah, I mean, they start off games well, too. I, I feel like if but defensively, look at they've been much better too. therefore allowing the offense to be on the field even more. They've had a lot of second quarters this year where they just haven't been on the field as much as they probably should be. I think they're wearing people down a little bit. Like, I think again, we're trying to figure out the identity of this team and what they are. Like, I think that there is an element. I definitely think that's true on defense. I think I am one who is frustrated by substitution patterns and rotations on defense at times. For example, first drive of the second half, it's largely reserves. I don't, you know, uh, it's a step on the next situation. I don't know if I want to see reserves. In this case, FSU got off the field in that situation. So it's all well and good. But I think that mentality that they've held through six games now is part of the reason they do usually close people out pretty well. Uh, real quick on the toe Philly run, Meech mm-hmm. pulled and located really well in that play. Jaheim Bell, who I thought had an excellent blocking game, very good. Hakeem Williams, great outside block. Fast forward a few plays later, Hakeem yep. Williams gets rewarded, houses it. Uh, Kentron also had a phenomenal block on the outside on one of the plays in the game. I think it was a Jaheim Bell catch, if I remember correctly, the one where Jordan rolled, checked down on a very short throw. Kentron immediately switched the blocker. That's part of the reason it freed up Jaheim for so many yards after the catch. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought perimeter blocking in the game was actually really good. Yes. T- tight ends had a little hit or misses on the day. Morlock had one he missed. Uh, m- mentioned Biscuit with Byers combining to blow up the uh, the – Wildcat kick play. Um, but all in all, I thought perimeter blocking was good. I took a lot of positives away from watching the Syracuse mm-hmm. game. And I, I don't think very highly of Syracuse. Um, Dino did not come to win on su- Saturday, um, as shown by the missed field goal attempt, where they settled for a field goal anyways and then got a delay of game and ball don't lie. Um, but all in all, I thought FSU – Played a really good game. AZ talk, you know, flipping the defense a little bit. Well, hang on before we go to defense. Okay. One last, one last thing. I know we'll, we'll, we'll work on to it. Um, Toe Philly, ninety-three yards. We got a script here, Chris, and we got sponsored. I'm pace with 104 me. total yards because he had 11 receiving too. Uh, but he has 93 rushing yards. Trey Benson, 74. He could have had, you know, talk about total yards if he cleans up some of the receiving game stuff. I know yeah. it's a source of frustration for him. I think he had the worst pass grade of anybody on FSU. Uh, which isn't shocking because he had a number of drops, including one yeah. that should have been a touchdown. Makes sense. Uh, it's something I know he's worked hard on and actually showed me had a really good catch against Clemson. Like it's there, but that's your number two and number three running back in the ACC in yards per carry. Like again, ground game is starting to take shape. It took a little while last year. It's taken a little while this season, but like it, it's there. Uh, the last thing on offense to talk about for me, we talk about the highlight plays. The Keon Coleman one was great. It's funny. <laughs> I had Dane on the right side of me in the press box and Brett on the left. And we had to be quiet in the press box. We can't you know, be cheering or exclaiming or anything like that. And that catch happens and both simultaneously take their, their palms and start slapping my, my thighs. Cause they were so excited about it. And just, they were like, Oh my God, what just happened? Um, but that was a highlight play. The hiking Williams, hiking Williams one is the other one I want to talk about. Chris touched on it already. Well, like executed play with Julian Armella, Jackson West, but like, for Hakeem, who goes and has the block to spring the toe, Philly touchdown the series before, to get rewarded, to have that opportunity, and then to make the most of it. Uh, Keon Coleman said it. Uh, I think even Mike Norvell talked about being excited about what they saw. Like that level of speed, that's that, that cut in towards the end of the the play where he puts a little juke on the safety, um, and then still remained like reaccelerated. Like yeah, dude, that's. Yeah. He's That's come a long way since pre-August 15th where uh, practice was whooping him a bit. He, he uh, And Mike's talked about it. He had to get himself in shape. He had to get his conditioning up. Probably shed a few pounds in there. That's and absolutely it's made a, world a real of difference. 
Yeah, and he, it, he was huffing and puffing for a while. A little wild to me that he's done it in season and in a relatively short time because he was making contributions in September too. But to look like he looked on Saturday, I mean, I I always said it when he was a recruit. You get the ball in his hand, he runs like a running back, and it is fun as hell to watch a really fast running back. And uh, yeah, you saw it there. Like Hakeem is ultra exciting to me for what he can be because he's a kid that didn't come out of a great football program. So there's a lot of learning of the football game going on for him, but he likes it. He takes to it. He's a guy who's willing to get yelled at when he does screw up. Like he doesn't, he doesn't go into the sewers when he gets yelled at. He takes it. He get, tries to be better. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. His evolution here is going to be very enjoyable to watch. He's going to be an important piece in the coming years. And yeah, and he's learning from good dudes. He's got good people in that room. Even a guy like Tron, who doesn't play as much, but did make his first career start on Saturday because Johnny was out. That's wild. Um, you know, Tron's a good guy to learn from because he's had to deal with patience. And Tron was a basketball kid who transitioned to football as he got to college. You know, and then he's obviously got Keon and Johnny above him who are guys who are doing it at a really high level. And there's a lot of mixes in that room of personalities and the way guys go about doing things. But I think it's good for hiking. I think he's a kid who takes to it really well, but not, I mean, it was awesome. It's, it's how it's supposed to be done. And yeah, FSU loves their tunnel screens. And yeah, when you run them like that, love them all you want. (laughs) That was encouraging. That was a lot of fun to see and uh, a cool moment and a, a glimpse of the future. Let's move on to talking a little bit about the defense. This part of on the bench, this segment is sponsored by Football Coach College Dynasty. Nailed the name. It's available on Steam at Stream for $15. It is a ton of fun. Uh, you can take over a bad program and try to do this methodical buildup. You can just take over a juggernaut or a well-set one like Florida State and just uh, start trying to actually make your, your dynasty. But it's the ultimate college football game uh, on PC. You can be a coach. You create game plans. You call plays. You recruit players. You develop your team. Pete for national championships, win them if you're if you're Zach in year 10 of, of his second one. And it features everything you love about college football. Conference realignment, school boosters, official visit for recruits, transfer portal, even NIL. Like that's a lot of fun, like tactically figuring out who you're who you're dropping your bags to, who you're not. So man, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Uh, college football, or sorry, football coach, college dynasty. Damn it, Chris, I almost had it without without stumbling. Football coach, Colin. I'm going to act like Jordan now and give you a little bit eyes and a little bit arms and be a little bit unhappy. Should have executed better. You should be have more fun. Uh, football coach, college dynasty available on Steam. So defensively, a totally dominant effort, Chris. 261 yards of, of offense allowed, 3.9 yards per play. I, I dare to say, like, I think the defense is finding its form right now. I will say uh, I liked it on Saturday and I loved it on Sunday in the rewatch, the aggressiveness and it, it wasn't constant, but it was dabbled in there off the bat. First play of the game defensively, they were aggressive, got downhill with Shaheen Brown, made something happen. Pat Payton, Shaheen Brown, DJ Lundy all did a great job of getting hands up, being in position to break up passes in the game. You love to see that from a variety of guys. And I'm talking Shaheen on one where he barreled down. I thought Shaheen Brown played probably the best game of his career at FSU on Saturday. thought he was really good in a multitude of ways, cleaning up plays, getting downhill and impacting plays, thing, doing things like that. A.C. Thomas, they tried to pick on him twice in one-on-one situations. He bowed up and did what he's supposed to do. Renardo Green had a phenomenal play across the middle. They didn't test Renardo a lot. I thought Fentrell Cypress was very good on today. He did have, I think, two balls caught on him, but he was ultra-competitive on both of those catches. Also had multiple breakups, was in position for near interception as well at one point. So back half, really pleased with what I saw from them. Defensive line, I thought, did a really good job getting after Jared Burst came off the line wide quite a bit, created a lot of pressure. Braden Fist downhill. Oh boy, that was that was fun. I wish that one ended in the backfield. Um Garrett Schrader was a living nightmare for FSU at Dope two years ago. The lessons have certainly been learned in facing that guy specifically as a scrambling quarterback, and it showed on Saturday. He had, what, negative 10, I believe it was, that he finished up at. Let, Entered let, the game with 14 lines of 10 or more on the year. Had none of those. Had a seven-yard run with his long Real one. quick, like, take that in for a second for the people listening because we talk about FSU not being very good against running quarterbacks, and the numbers say they haven't been. And your eyes say they haven't been. Um, Syracuse has banged up up front. Apparently, Garrett Schrader had food poisoning. It was coming out of both ends, according to Dino Babers. So, like, yeah, th- th- those are factors. But you controlled the line of scrimmage. You took him away. Uh, with his legs, things that make him special. And, like, that is that is 
noteworthy because you're going to yeah. face more mobile quarterbacks at some point this season who are who are good. So you figuring out how to do that, like, okay, that, that's a positive. The only Syracuse player who really had an effective day against FSU was Quinn Allen, the running back. And he's yeah. a good running back. You're right he had right. a 100-yard rushing day, also had a catch or two, I believe. I thought he was the only guy that had any real measurable success against FSU. Their O-line, which we were both unimpressed by and we spoke about last week, lived up to that billing. Yeah, um, They were not good. FSU did a very good job at the point of attack. I liked how often FSU went four plus one, even sometimes plus two plus three in attacking them, but it wasn't constant. They just out up. Some of that is you're allowed to do that when the skill talent on the outside isn't overly concerning. There's no Ronda Gadsden you're having to bracket right. or double or deal with. So, you know, Alford's not killing you. Hatcher's not killing you. Yeah, so FSU was able to do that. But I thought FSU kind of just set the tone, was consistent with the tone, did a really good job. There were very few busts. I thought communication was at a really high level. Josh Farmer, hat tip, playing really good football these days. That strip sack was really well done on his part. Disappointing they got no points from that. Um, and I also enjoyed when they went to the subs. There were a few moments with those subs where – um, you know, things stood out. Blake had one real good fill. Justin Cryer had two really good plays. I recall KJ Sampson had a high level play where he drove his guy right, got off, peekabooed left, and finished the play. You know, it, it's it's small increments, but it's good to see Byron Turner. I feel like is continuing to play a little bit better. Same with Gilbert Edmond, mm-hmm. who has now stacked a couple good games on top of each other. Yeah, all in all, I thought defensively it was a really really solid performance. I think Syracuse did hit. I think it was seven explosives total. Uh, you know, one of those came in junk time late. So six against a defense that FSU is going to run out there consistently, but only like one or two of them was truly a damaging explosive. The other ones were just plays where, you know, there was one where FSU missed a tackle in the backfield and it ended up going for a couple of I mean, I'm, I'm pulling that up now, Craig. One, two, three, four, five. Five of them were in the third quarter. Yeah. You know, like, or third quarter or fourth quarter. Um, So you're already kind of, conceding some things you allowed like a 20 yard run on the on the ground twice and obviously you don't want to allow that but like i think you're just preventing a legit home run play so you're playing a little softer uh, and you may concede that a little bit but they were dominant they were yeah. so good at the point of attack that was very clear josh farmer like you mentioned the strip sack like you felt his presence anytime he was on the field he was only on the field for 15 snaps yeah dj lundy's about one lundy had a great day he was yeah. excellent against the run he was a big reason they bottled up schrader so well he had a 90, 90.7 90, 90 change PFF grade. Yeah, 90.7 run defense grade, which was highest on the team. Shaheen Brown was 77, was second. And Shaheen Brown, this is, wrote about it last week, like during practice reports. Like you kind of feel him taking ownership of the defense, him settling in. And this is like the third game in a row now where you're like, all right, like that is, we've talked about him for a couple of years now of having like NFL talent. And I think you're starting to kind of see that all come together for him. Um, yeah since the Clemson game. So like there are a lot of things right now about the defense that, that feel good and, and look good. Um, some of that is, you know, Syracuse's offense, not very good, but you took away what they did do well. And, and you won that um, handily Virginia. Tech. Also, I just want to take a moment and thank greedy Vance for the pick. Cause I was very happy as you could go out there and nail down to end the game. And fin- I know. Cause then you, so nerds like me would just follow stats and like, it's like they, these games get diluted at the end. They've had a few blowouts, what four blowouts where you get the twos out there and, and all of a sudden a team scores on it. And it just it adds to the the fire fuller fuel when like the numbers aren't really indicative of like how efficiently they're playing at times on defense. Um, but, but those numbers, like even with that noise in the system, like they're starting to creep up to top 25 in, in multiple levels. And they've uh, largely gotten through the, the best offenses they're going to play. Um, I was look at this, Chris. Jaden Daniels leads the country with a pass rating of 197.74, which is absurd. Uh, he's had that over... defense. <laughs> well, well, that defense is not helping that man out at all. But, like, I mean, here's his, his game by game pass rating other than Florida State 237, 196, 200, 208, 222, 204, FSU 141. They made Superman look normal. Um, that defense, like, and they're starting to be a little bit more aggressive. We're seeing that since the second half of Clemson. They haven't lost that. I mean, they're not blitzing like they were against Clemson, but they're still remaining aggressive that you alluded to earlier, Chris. Like, it seems like they've figured out kind of what works for them. I'm interested to see a couple weeks uh, from now against Miami. Like, that offense of line could give you issues, but, like, we'll see where Miami's at from a mental standpoint in a few weeks. Uh, point being, 
I feel like the defense is kind of coming together, realizing what it is, get your rotations kind of worked out. Adam Fuller has a good pulse of like, I think what they can do well. And it's encouraging. Um, it is encouraging to see the defense start to ascend a little bit. I think they're top 15 in the ESPN efficiency metrics. Like it, it is a group that is moving in the right direction. Um, yeah. And there's places to grow too. Fentral Cyphers, for example, pick a ball. Yeah, yeah that's he got like, targeted eight times. He only allowed three catches. I thought all in all he played well. And he, he's very good at swatting at the ball and being around the ball. But, like, you know, go take one at some point. We and know he like, can because he, yeah. he led the ACC in it last year. Now, interceptions are kind of a, a difficult uh, stat to track over year to year. They're not necessarily transferable. But, like, he can do it. He can catch the football. Yeah, and missed tackles are always something you're trying to clean up. Tatum had a few in this one. I don't think Tatum's feeling exactly spring fresh. Obviously, didn't play a whole lot in the Virginia Tech game for that right. reason. Uh, Conrad Hussey had one really bad one in space. Conrad Hussey probably had two moments in his life on Saturday that he wholeheartedly wishes he could forget. So one thing with – and I'm glad you mentioned that because – But stick with him because he's good. They And they did. And that's what I want yeah. to talk about is he had – what was a – it was a breakdown, like just emotionally, for uh, like a good minute there after he had the hold, uh, which was like an unnecessary hold, but also was kind of a ticky tack one in a game that where they were letting both teams. You just got to realize you got to release it. Like yeah, as, yeah. as he's running by your backside, I know it's tough because it's all happening on a million miles per hour. But as he's running by your backside, you got to release there. Hope you don't get the flag. Certainly don't you know get into it after a play with the face mask and everything that went. On. And then that yeah, so that that basically takes a play that ended a what like at the. 15 it, it, it created a negative 39 yard situation <laughs> so so that's a that's a thing and in a game that matters like that can't not happen um and then he was inconsolable for a little bit on the sideline that's something that needs to get better right so you can well, we saw off. a number of people try to talk to him which i thought was impressive like and it varied from dudes who certainly should be the guy talking to a guy and guys mm-hmm. who are much younger trying to take a moment i, I thought yeah sideline watching sorry no, but he, he was still not responsive to it for a minute. But what I will say is he settled in and you played him again. He gets 20-something snaps. So like you stuck with him. He was able to get control of his emotions eventually. And like, okay, like that is uh, – that's what you need. Like it, that needs to get better. And we saw a sign of it like, okay, that, that got better. Because there are times that we've seen in practice this year like where he, he is difficult once he enters a certain point of frustration to – get back in check so he got there and like i take that as like a a step forward like that yeah. to me is, is it's, something it's an it's a 19 year old maturing yeah yeah and they're allowed to and we're just what we're watching it in real time and we're evaluating in real time and um it's just yeah it's not always the, the best way to do it you know, because you're allowed to to change over a, a span of time but we're doing it like right now so uh let's talk real quick we're play buyers to known we'll get on out of here brought to you by quick. the turner group Sponsored by the Turner Group. But first, uh, <laughs> Game Ball, sponsored by The Battle's End. If you like being 6-0, you like having a, a roster that competes for things, if you like having something like Keon Coleman make crazy catches, The Battle's End probably a place where you need to uh, to throw a little bit of, of, of your financial inventory into uh, so you can retain players and help they get on campus, You know, make sure they have NIL opportunities, if you will. So uh, who's your player of the game on both sides of the ball, Chris? I mean, offensively, I think it's pretty easy. Slam dunk against Keon Coleman. Mm. Uh, he played a man's game on Saturday. Defensively, I'm going to go with Shaheen Brown. I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, I thought he impacted at all three levels. thought he played really fast. And Shaheen's fun because he's such a high-level athlete. You know, he was more athlete than position player when he showed up here. He's done a good job developing into a safety. And, no, Shaheen played really good ball. Six straight starts for Shaheen, and it's starting to show. You stole both of mine, so yeah, we'll just move on to. Well, well to who would be your runner-up? I mean, offensively, I, I feel like. Do you give it to Toe Philly for the fifty-yarder? Do you give it to Hakeem for his explosive? Do you give it Jean, to Jordan? Gene Bell, I thought was good throughout. Um, yeah, he's I, another I, one. Yeah, he he had and a really nice catch field. Uh, Josh Farmer would be number two for me. Him yeah. or DJ Lundy would be next up there. But yeah, yeah I, I think Shaheen I thought they both were ultra impactful. Keon were the two best. Um, all right, so let's play a little buyer to know. Who's it sponsored by, Chris? The Turner Group. The Turner Group. If you're trying to get into the, the home buying or home selling market in Central Florida, throughout the state of Florida, there's no one who I would trust more to help with that process than the Turner Group because they are extremely hands-on. They are responsive. They have connections throughout the state where they could help make things happen and move along to you. 
I understand it can be a stressful process. They can make it as unstressful as possible. Colin, Amy Turner, Becky, everyone else of the Turner Becky! group. Becky! Sorry, I have to. It's become a thing. Bye, Orsonone. Thank you for your sponsorship. I'm sorry, Colin. Uh, bye, Orsonone. FSU should be ranked higher than fourth in the AP and coaches poll. Let's, let's get some poll slander to start off the, the Bye, Orsonone segment. I'm sorry. I, Zach texted me and you know me. I'm not good at focusing on two things at one Dear time. Jesus. Okay. If um, you look so down at your cell phone, you can travel the length of a football field in like two seconds. Just sorry, Colin. Bye or sorry. Sinone. That was my bad. Bye or Sinone. Sorry, Colin. FSU should be ranked higher than fourth in the AP and coaches polls. I hate polls. I hate preseason polls, especially because it creates built-in bias. I feel like, oh, we got to stick with that. That's what we thought, you know, before they ever played a football game. So it had to be right. Um, sure. Like, I, I think three to four is the sweet spot. I don't agree with five. Um, yeah. Georgia's going to probably be one till Georgia loses because they've won X amount of games in a row. And truthfully, they have looked better in their last outing. Um or the last two, I guess, technically now Kentucky and Vanderbilt. You know, you know it's Vanderbilt. Um, I think FSU is better than Ohio State, personally. I do, too. That's I think like third or – yeah, I think top and three. Michigan, please go play somebody. Right, yeah. Like Oklahoma. Michigan might be really good. Michigan's super efficient, plays really clean football, pretty good in all phases of the game. They've got competent skill. They've got a good quarterback. Like, I think Michigan is a very good football team. I think Michigan is a good enough football team to play for a national title. I don't think they're a good enough football team to win a national title. I know that we'll sounds see. a little crazy, but that's we what We don't know until about. they play someone worth it. But, yeah, like, yeah. I watched them play Minnesota, and they were good in that game. They won it handily. But, like, I didn't come away thinking, like, you know, FSU couldn't go play them on a neutral field and beat them. Well, FSU's resume is, like, Really good, and we're gonna start. This stuff's all gonna start mattering like fairly soon, right? Like, this is we're gonna start talking about college football playoff at the end of the month. And I know there's the idea of if you just win out and take care of business, you're gonna be in a really good spot. But like, there's a lot of teams that are winning out and or have the excuse me that have the ability to win out. There have been very few like big time upsets in college football this season. There's been a lot of close games, and a lot of really good teams have had scares or look clunky at times, Florida State included, Georgia included, Ohio State, like everyone. But um, like there's going to start becoming a, a matter of style points. And I know the AP poll doesn't determine who's in the college football playoff, but like that certainly is a perception thing. And uh, yeah, it's ultimately not a huge deal. Uh, yeah, that, for, first playoff rankings are, I believe, the Tuesday before Halloween, I want to say. Yeah, so at end of the month. And what my point that I'm trying to ramble and get to is that you have a chance to keep building the resume, not just win, but like you have Duke in a top 25 matchup this weekend at home. Like that's a chance to, to build it and to grow and to, to keep adding uh, some, some style points. Uh, FSU undefeated is a playoff team. FSU with one loss. It's going to depend on who that loss would be to. It's also going to depend on so many other moving variables. Do I think they would stay in the discussion? I do. Do I think they would assuredly be in? I'm not convinced. Are you Chris? Hang on. I, I think they are too. I agree with you largely, but to play devil's advocate, if Georgia wins out, if Ohio State wins out, and that would have wins over Penn State and Michigan, uh, if Oklahoma wins out, if Washington, which just had a really nice win over Washington's Oregon, better than Oklahoma. Like Washington would concern me more than Oklahoma in this scenario. But Go that, ahead. Those are four that have the chance, and Oklahoma has a really good chance to run the table based on the rest of their schedule. Um, they haven't jumped you yet. So, but like those are those are four or five teams that you're gonna be in a conversation with, and all those teams do have a chance to run the table with like what's left on their schedule. So uh, I, I think FSU would stay ahead of Oklahoma in that scenario. Yeah. So that'd be four. Okay. All right. I, I think so too. Um, but I'm just saying like style points and like perception stuff's going to start mattering potentially. Yeah. That, I thought Washington might jump FSU in some of the polls. You know, that was a very impressive win over Oregon national TV. A lot of people that vote probably don't watch Washington a whole hell of a lot. Got to let you know, I see where a lot of those East Coast voters aren't watching a ton of Pac-12 games. Um, you know, and Washington is good. That offense is fun as hell to watch. Penix is a real deal. He's a Heisman candidate for a reason. They're a good football team. I don't think they're better than FSU necessarily. I think they're pretty comparable, truthfully. Um, but, you know, I thought Washington might get that bump, that Saturday bump, because while they went, they played Oregon. It was a really fun, competitive game, came down to the last minute. 
and Washington came out the victors. And I think if push came to shove and a good got, Pac-12 year too. It is it's a fun, fun conference this year. If we got all the way down to the end of it with both teams undefeated and like there's a four and five deal, uh, I think Florida State tie goes to Florida State because um, TV ratings matter and Florida State's TV ratings would would probably be more enticing for the people who find folks to put together a college football playoff. So, all right, by Orsonone. So with this game coming up against Duke, FSU's a 15 and a half point favorite. Chris, are you buying or Sononing that over Duke? Like that feels. I'm buying it because Riley Leonard is probably not going to play. And I think Duke will have some issues trying to score points without Riley's. He's such a catalyst for what they do both in the air and on the ground. Duke uglies that game up, man. I do, yeah, I do think Duke tries to shorten the game. I, I do think Duke. I have a healthy respect for what Elko's defensive line can do. Mm-hmm. If FSU's O line doesn't want to show up and be physical, Duke will cause major issues at the point of attack. Um, but I think at the end of the day, FSU's outside skill offensively is probably going to be able to do some things against Duke if they're able to block it up enough to do, you know, have time to attempt to do it. And I just don't know that Duke's going to score a whole lot of points. I just uh, that offense without Riley Leonard feels very uh, handicapped. And you look at the NC State game. I'm not a guy that obsesses over a box score versus what really happened, but like that NC State box score is very lopsided, and it's not in the direction of Duke. Like that game shouldn't have been what was it, 24 to three? I think was the final. It, it doesn't feel that way. Now I'm going to go watch it to get a better feel for that. But the box score doesn't say to you. That actually have been a lopsided affair like it turned out to be. Yeah, teams play Duke and I mean, Clemson at the beginning of this year. Last year that happened a lot where like the Duke box score doesn't make sense when you see the final score, even just like the win-loss like results. But like, you know, it, it keeps happening and it's been a year and a half of data points now. So like, it, I, I think they just like to make the games really, really ugly and uh, they have good trench players and that combination. Like, yeah, you can, you can make a game close. Um, I was going to ask Riley Leonard plays versus FSU Byers Sinone. I'm Sinoning it. It sounds like you are too. He's yeah, I think right now I'm Sinoning it. Even if he does, he's not going to be Riley Leonard, the super effective ability to scramble, throw while scrambling, keep you off balance kind of guy. Just I can't imagine coming off how bad that injury looked. I know everyone heals differently, but that looked really, really bad. Like I thought initially he broke something, and then you know you hear it's just a high ankle sprain. Well, and just, the high ankle sprain can be like term depending on the break. Like if it's my type of break, like from 15 years ago, that's obviously pretty severe. But if you're talking about just like a, a hairline fracture, high ankle sprain could be worse from a recovery standpoint, but just in terms of like how long it takes. Um, and so him being back in three weeks, four weeks, just not not probable. That's highly unlikely. So I'm with you, Chris. Uh, let's see. By Orsonone, we see Johnny Wilson return this week against Duke. I'm, I'm buying. I think I'll buy. Um, you know, I don't think he was in contention to play on Saturday, but I don't think it's why well, I said earlier in the pod, I don't think it's a long-term situation. I, I yeah, I think we see Johnny back. I, all in all, FSU, I think it's pretty healthy. We saw Destin Hill um, wearing a boot on Hakeem Williams' touchdown catch. Celebrating. I, I don't think, think that's that a happened huge... on a tunnel screen early in, in the, the second, second half. half. Yeah. Um, it didn't look that bad in real time. He was able to get off the field. I just want to call him playing after that. Darius got banged up. I believe it was on the last series of the first half. Was in the street clothes in the second half. I think that's probably more precautionary than anything. Darius obviously has, sadly, a healthy injury, injury history to him. So I think, you know, when you're playing with a guy who is a crucial piece at both center and tackle for you, uh, you know, you can live with rolling somebody else out there for the second half of Syracuse. I think that's mm-hmm. what that was with Darius. Yeah, I don't know if anything has occurred that to where you'd feel, um, from what I can tell and talking to people, like I don't think anything is is super alarming based on the information we have right now. I do think Johnny Wilson probably returns against Duke. What that looks like, how much, yeah, I don't I don't know. But um, that's probably the most we'll, we'll be able to get into injuries uh, with practice starting up on, on Tuesday. Uh, finally, Chris, Byers Sonone, he was on campus this weekend, probably be on campus again fairly soon. Defensive tackle Artavius Jones is a – going to have parsing here is where it's going to get a little conversational major priority for FSU. Yes. Bye. Yeah. What you say? Uh, bye wholeheartedly. They need D tackles. You know, D Nas White, who a little VIP for you folks here. I dropped this morning that he's expected to be in this weekend unofficial visit. I expect him back most likely in December for an official. He's also way up that board for FSU. FSU values more than most of the fan base seemingly does. 
uh, Artavius Jones is in that conversation. I think Nazir Johnson's in our name worked on into that conversation. As far as true interior type defensive lineman that FSU values a great deal. But yeah, Artavius is a kid that they've just kept chipping away at. You know, he committed to UM when he did. They get him back on campus relatively soon after that, get him back here. I presume they expect him back at least once, if not twice more in the regular season, especially against Miami. It just makes perfect sense when I'm down the road. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll push for the official visit come December and try to finish the flip. I uh, also know that it's major. I think he's a, a priority, a higher priority. I think, I think, uh, Nas White, like you said, I think is probably higher on their board. Um, I know the stargazers may not like that. Um, I think this year, like, who's it? Georgia's Georgia's starting to get in for him. Yeah, Georgia, because they missed on Breland, who went to Oregon. They've kind of kicked the tires and tried to keep that warm. Georgia's got their infatuation with big body, tall defensive linemen. And, hey, it's working for them. I'm not knocking it. It's just they have a type. And uh, Nazir's a guy that seemingly they've kind of increased a little bit of interest in here recently. We'll see how much they start pushing there. When you're really good like Georgia has been now for three consecutive years, you usually have good options. But I think Nazir is a guy there. they've warmed up to a little bit here in the last month. I, I think yeah, ultimately try, try to add two of those guys. I just, I think. I, I think FSU's order those three guys is the opposite of how I would order those three guys. How would you order them? I would probably go Nazir, Artavius, Denaz White. I think FSU's order is probably Denaz White, Artavius, Nazir. Who knows? The board can still expand a little bit too. I just, yeah, I think they, I think they like take Easy Jones solution. Take two. They, they might. They might, end up not, they might end up taking two. Um, and who knows? LJ McRae makes his decision, what, Saturday? Yeah, I know I he's a defensive end. Yeah, that, that's a dude you move all over the board. And, like, he, if you if you get him, big if, like, if you get him, uh, that gives you a ton of flexibility on the defensive line and you can play a lot of fun games with him over the next few years. So. Yeah, I mean, he's built, like, a three, four strong side defensive end. So he definitely has positional flexibility. Hmm. Fun to think about. All right, let's get out of here. I want to give a shout out and a thank you to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey, football coach, college dynasty, nailed it. The Turner Group, as well as the Battles End. Chris, thanks for taking an hour out of your Monday morning. It's going to be a busy week for us. Bunch of recruiting stuff coming down the wire for the weekend with uh, FSU having a primetime game against Duke. A lot of practice reports this week. Coordinators are talking to us today, along with Mike Marvell later on on Monday. So yeah, a lot going on. Um, stay tuned. We'll talk to you later in the week on On the Bench. Give you the latest about FSU. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.